Welcome to the Experts Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of what it really means to be in the media. Featuring interviews with media stable experts and some of Australia's prominent media. We'll break down some of the myths, the fears, the skills and the knowledge needed to succeed in the media. The Experts Podcast is for the business owner, communicator, PR professional, leader of industry or anyone looking to develop their profile to be a recognised expert. The Experts Podcast is powered by Media Stable. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Experts Podcast. My name is Nick Hayes. Hi, I'm Carmen Braidwood. Hello, Carms. Um, we're sort of in amongst sporting royalty here today. Oh, broadcasting royalty uh, as well. I just feel a little bit awed. Personally. There's a little bit of awe going on. He's, mm. he's chuckling away at us uh, as we prep up and build up uh, our commentary around him. But <laughs> he's he's commentated on Olympic Games. He's commentated AFL Games, cricket. And uh, there's a cricket thing I want to ask of, of our, our, our experts and media personality here today that uh, is, includes Kermit the Frog, oh, okay. uh, or Kermit Jagger to be brutally honest. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's lots of stuff to go on here, but uh, I don't know how we're going to fit it all in 30 minutes, so I'm just going to go straight to him. Glenn Mitchell, welcome to the Experts Podcast. Great to be here. I thought you were going to ask me a technical question, like your forward defensive shot you needed help on. <laughs> that's okay, I'm happy to talk about a frog. <laughs> well, Kermit, Kermit Jagger, wasn't it? It's, let's go straight to it. You were on there with Kerry O'Keefe. You were commentating, I think, was it an Indian or a Sri Lankan game? Sri Lankan one-day game at the Gabba. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably the most iconic piece of comedy from a sport. Because let's face it, sometimes the broadcasting of a cricket match can be a little bit tedious. Yeah, Uh, well, I often say to Kerry, and when I do, if someone asks me when I'm doing a public (laughs) speaking thing, that I spent 21 years at the ABC. Yeah. As you mentioned, Olympic Games and Test Cricket. Commonwealth Games, and the thing I'm most remembered for is sitting next to an idiot telling a story about a frog. Um, so that encapsulates my entire career, Nick. That that's, that was the highlight. But yeah, he was a very funny man. You never quite knew where things were going with Kerry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I left the ABC, of all the work colleagues outside that you know directly in the office, he was probably the one I missed the most because we had a lot of fun together. It was on and off air. You you sounded like you you did, and mm. it's uh, and you brought a life. You brought alive a game that is fairly difficult to commentate mm. with just the vi- just the audio. The visual side of cricket is such a visual game, and mm. you guys bring it to life. Yeah, and the thing was w- with Kerry, the, the, the frog joke was unique because he read it out. It was an email that had been sent by a listener. Mm-hmm. Other than that, he always talked about the fact that he used observational humour, and, and that's what he did. I mean, I'd be commentating, and he'd just come out with the most incredibly funny thing by just watching what was happening and unfolding in front of him so it was a real gift that he had so I sort of learned early on that he was the funny one and I was the straight man so I played the straight bat and I knew at times what sort of line to feed him that would trigger him and send him off on this flight of fancy and he went on lots of flights of fancy. <laughs> and that's a really wonderful observation that you shared immediately there Glenn that you knew your role mm. and in every duo uh, a, yeah, you got to have fun because the audience can sniff it out if you're not having fun. That's what makes it entertaining. But B, you got to know your role. And sometimes that, that requires maybe putting a little the brakes on the ego a bit mm. because you might want to be the funny one and land the joke. Which is what Nick has to do working with you, Carmen. He's <laughs> got to understand where he sits in the grand scheme of things, as I know Nick quite well from many years ago. But you're right. Um, if you're both trying to compete, if I'm trying to be humorous with Kerry at the same time and trying to one-up him or whatever, then it just doesn't work. 
So, I mean, he was the one, if you like, that got the accolades. I mean, the frog joke's all about him. I was just describing a delivery in between as he kept meandering on with this story. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be successful in the media, if you're working, and that's what we do in, in cricket, you're working in a two-man team. Yep. Footy commentary team's a bit different. You've got four. But with two, it's, it's a conversa- conversational style, and you've just got to let that person do what they do best. And for me, it was just trying to draw out that, which was always a lot of fun. Before we go back to your past experiences and your incredible career path, you're currently at Curtin Radio yep. doing the breakfast program. Yep. How are you enjoying that? Love it. Yep. Love it. I mean, the only thing is I've got the alarm goes off at 10 to 4 Ugh. in the morning and I've always been a night person. But <laughs> I, lo- I love it. I mean, I'm just effectively a DJ. It doesn't require the preparation and all the... The memorising of things that I had to do when I was doing sports, so I just love it. And, you know, connecting with the audience is fantastic. It's a, it's a great, great gig. How heavily controlled are you in terms of what you can and can't say or do? Or Well, I'm lucky I haven't been sacked, Carmen. <laughs> um, the, the way that I talk about our manager, I mean, I've compared him because, you know, he, he's got a dash hound and his stomach's very low to the ground and he's short. So, And I say all these types of things on air, so I'm very lucky to actually still have a job. But, no, it's, it's totally unscripted. It's unprepared. Um, it's just some good fun live radio with some good music, and I just I love it. It's a Which real the treat. audience appreciate, I bet. Yeah, they do. They do. I think that hour of the day, I mean, people, a lot of people are going to work purely and simply because they have a mortgage and school fees to pay, and they might necessarily be in the best frame of mind. So it's about being upbeat, being sarcastic, and you know, telling a few jokes and being lighthearted and trying to, trying to send people out the door with a bit of a smile on their face. Yeah, I have to be frank and honest at times. It did worry me when I was working at 6PR that every time I got in a taxi, Curtain Radio was the <laughs> the, uh, the option. Well, what, what it, but what is it? People who are spending a lot of time listening are opting for Curtain. Why? Well, it, it, it's interesting and it ties into what I did as a previous career if you like commentating sport um sport the the sport the word sport actually comes from the word disport which is an archaic medieval term and it's been abbreviated and actually means to escape from the stresses and that of life so people listen to sport watch sport and it diverts them from all the things that are going on in their world whether it is trying to pay the mortgage or you know they've got a son who's getting into problems and that's causing them stress and radio, the music that we play is primarily 60s and 70s music. So it takes people back. And I know myself, I can be driving along and hear a certain track and it takes you back to a certain time. This morning mm. I played because it's Colin Hayes' birthday from Men at Work and played Down Under. Oh, classic. And it doesn't matter wherever I am, as soon as I hear the opening couple of notes of that, I go straight back to the America's Cup, September 1983, Rhode Island, Australia 2 winning the America's Cup. Nice. And a lot of people, they hear a music track. It might be um, the music, the track they heard when they met their wife. It was the first track they danced to at, you know, when they were engaged or whatever. So I, I think that's why people probably listen to Curtin and like mm. that style of music because it takes them back to their younger years. I love that how that goes back to America's Cup for you. That goes back to me at the walkabout in the UK <laughs> yeah. and I'm into my third snake bite. Um, <laughs> such different lives and experiences Dibonale that we've Kalgoorlie had. Kalgoorlie for me. Ooh. So there you go. Yeah, right. Just depends where you so did you your go. formative years. It all, it all years. means something to some people in different ways. <laughs> so does it. So does. Glenn, your career and still continuing career in commentating uh, has has been nothing short of brilliant. What's been the highlight? I mean, you've been asked this question a million times. I know this, but what's the number one sporting moment that mm. you can go back to to say that was 
that was the best. It's probably for me a, a, a more of a. Oh, I know that the Indian Cricket Tour of two thousand and one, the audience loved that, uh, mainly because we had to broadcast a lot of it on the mobile phone. The technology back in India, the broadcast <laughs> lines would go down, and we'd be handing a mobile phone from one to the other. <laughs> wow! But the the two thousand and one Kolkata Test match was very. Famous. It's where Steve Waugh led by 274 runs in force to follow on and then two blokes by the name of Lakshman and Dravid batted the entire fourth day. Yeah. Did not give a chance. And there were eighty to 90,000 people in that stadium, Eden Gardens, five days in a row. And just the way that test um, swung around and everything was fantastic. But the greatest moment I've ever seen, and, and this was lucky because I was at the Atlanta Olympics and I was doing the cycling, and I'd finished one night and some colleagues were saying, come on, let's go to the swimming. We can walk to the aquatic centre. And I'd had a long day. I said, no, I couldn't be bothered. And I walked down there and that was Kieran Perkins. Yeah. And it's where he came from, from lane eight, just qualified and won his second gold medal. So that's the most remarkable event I've seen. But the one that meant the most to me commentating was that 2001 Tour to India. Can I ask you more questions about cool things you've gotten to do as a result mm. of your broadcasting career? Um. Well, the Olympics were just fantastic. You know, and I was very lucky to commentate um, opening and closing ceremonies. Uh, I did it at two Olympic Games and did it at four Commonwealth Games. So, you know, a lot of people, I think, you know, go to the Sydney Olympics to get a ticket to the opening ceremony sort of started at $1,200 upwards or whatever. Sure. And I get to see the full rehearsal and then two nights later you go back and see the main event again. So I was very lucky to see things that... Well, money can buy, but you need a lot of money and you need a lot of um, luck. You've got to go into a, a ballot sometimes to get a, a ticket to a major event like that. And the other thing was I've always been very inquisitive about the world and culture and history. So an opportunity to – I mean, I went to India I think six times with the ABC and to experience a culture that perhaps I, if it wasn't my job, I may not have gone there. I mm. probably would have gone through a pecking order, you know, Paris and London and other places like that before I got to India – so it, it, it opened my eyes and had a, a chance to see things that probably hadn't have been for the job. And, and on behalf of myself, I'd like to thank you too as taxpayers for funding the ABC <laughs> and giving me the opportunity to travel the world. Well, it was much appreciated. Well, to be fair too, Glenn, some of your taxes went back into paying yourself as well. Well, that's so true. You, that's true. I, did, I should have given myself a pay rise as a result. Well, I don't, that, unless you got the, the, the number for the big boss, he's not going to give it away to you. Um, Let's talk about the ABC because it, it has been eleven years since mm. you moved on, and um, we'll, 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 we'll talk about how that mm. all played out. But what's your feelings towards the ABC today? Oh, it, it was extremely bitter when it first happened, uh, but I look back now and know that there was fault on both sides. I mean, I had the, the mental breakdown and the subsequent suicide attempt. That's after I'd resigned the suicide bit, um, and I know at the time that the ABC didn't handle things in my regard perhaps as they would nowadays and I think they learnt some lessons I certainly learnt some lessons but I if I'm listening to sport now I'll go to the ABC yeah and, and I, I look at I was going to say colleagues not many of my colleagues are still there Karen's still there my wife Jim Maxwell at cricket Quentin Hull up in Brisbane but a lot of the others are, are new people that have come in after I've left sure um, some of them I employed here like Corbin Middlemass who's now in Melbourne um, but they're all outstanding broadcasters and, and I, I listen to them and I'm still very proud of the way Grandstand, as they brand themselves, ABC Grandstand, still performs and will for decades to come, I hope. A lot of junior, as you just referred mm. to, their commentators now that have benefited from seeing the way that you work. And I, I did get an opportunity one time to watch how you work and you carry your little book around, mm. your little notebook to, mm. and you're an obsessive note taker. Mm. That 
carries on now to a lot of the commentators that have been from that are now. Yeah, it's interesting. I know that I, I had a set way of, and still do for it's my thirty third year calling footy. I still do it exactly the same way, and I know that some of the colleagues that came in with me and I trained or helped up do it exactly the same way, maybe with some minor modifications. So it, it's nice to – and I sort of listen to various commentators now and know that I had some input into their – either coming into the job or training them once they're in there. And it's nice to, to hear them going from strength to strength. What's your process for nailing the pronunciation of a difficult-to-say name? <laughs> Well, you've got to run it over and over in your head. Mm. Uh, we were very lucky at the ABC. A thing like the Olympic Games, we had an organisation, still they're called SCOS, Standing Committee on Spoken English. Well, we could have used that in the commercial game. Well, I could just use that yeah, normally. Yeah, <laughs> Just in normal life. Well, especially when you've had a few. Um, <laughs> it's nice of you to stay sober this hour of the day, Nick, to get this interview done. Um, no, he's a very, very responsible individual. Um, but what we would do, for example, if I was going away to the Olympic Games and calling cycling, mm. I would know some of the great cyclists in the world that were going to challenge for medals or whatever, and I would hand it through to Skos. So they would actually tell you, if it was a Portuguese name, a Russian name mm. or whatever, the way that it would be pronounced. And some of them, and I can still, man, there was a Uzbekistani sprinter, cyclist called Jamaluddin Abdu Japarov. And there was a woman that won the points race in Atlanta called Svetlana Samakvalova. Wow. But I would look at that and think, oh, hang on, you know, is it Samakvalova or whatever? And they would give you the correct pronunciation. And it's one thing the ABC has always prided itself. I mean, I listen, not a lot, but... um, to our rugby league callers. Yep. And, of course, you have yeah. all the Samoan and Tongan names that are so hard to pronounce yeah. and they don't miss a beat. Yep. It's one thing the ABC is all – we don't – you never make fun of people's names. No. no. Because that can be um, – I mean, that is, is seen as being racism and quite rightly. I mean, sure. we want our names pronounced correctly. Yeah. So the ABC has always been a stickler for that, you know, whether it's current affairs or whether it's sport, to make sure that people are given – the, the due recognition, their name is their name and it should be used properly. I completely agree and I think it's all too often that we let a young broadcaster out there into the wild without any support yep. and maybe it doesn't happen that much at the ABC because of the resources but the mm. lack of resources that I observed through my 20 years in broadcasting mm. commercially is quite profound yep. and it's only getting worse. There's yep. just very little support for the young and, ones. And I think one of the big issues nowadays too is the speed and the immediacy of the media. Yep. Mm. This 24 four-hour news sure. cycle that people have got, you know, and there's podcasts, there's video casts, there's everything like that, that people just want to get it out there. And perhaps I was in a different era when I was back at the ABC. You had more time to be considered. You could make a phone call. What is the pronunciation of this bloke's name? Mm. Whereas nowadays, bang, you just got to hit the ground running if you're in news or any form of broadcasting now. And I think as a result of that, you know, things slip through the, through the cracks and Ideally, they shouldn't, but I can understand the pressure under uh, people are under nowadays. I could have done with that organisation when I first arrived here in Perth. My very first news story I covered was the uh, arsenic spill in Coburn Sound. Oh, Cockburn. no. Yeah, Cockburn. Mm. Jeez, didn't I get caught Which out there? if you there? Have, a, have an acid spell, or it can actually it can happen if you have a spill. You can end up with Cockburn, but yeah. Well, we'll move on, Good point. Well, and the, see that if you get those pronunciations wrong, suddenly you've eradicated radio's most wonderful element the the human connection you, you know also, if you go and alienate yep. yourself from a local by saying exactly Cockburn, exactly yep. and that, that's one of the best ways to lose credibility yeah you Correct. know if you yeah. if you say something like i mean we're, we're such a transient world nowadays that people my wife has moved from sydney to here i travel around was traveling around doing commentary in each of the states um you know we all used to get a laugh when we used to watch telephone 
Yeah. yeah. You'd have these celebrities come in from, you yeah, know, it's yeah. Karen Yup and, and whatever and, <laughs> yeah, Cockburn Sound or whatever. Um, or Inaloo. Yeah, yeah. Inaloo. Ina Actually, oh, yeah? that's correct. Yeah. It's better <laughs> than living, we've, got, we've got some weird places. It's better than we? living up a swan. But yeah. um, <laughs> it is one of the things, though, that you can lose your credibility very quickly. Mm. In my in my case in sport, it's, it's also about um, – understanding of the rules you know you slip up with one of the rules and people think what the hell is this bloke doing commentating this sport so you can bring yourself undone very very quickly do you miss the big stuff the the big opportunities because no 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 i mean people say when when i first left in 2011 when the london olympics came around that was still pretty raw for me and i wished i was there and i was you know angry with myself but nowadays no I mean, I look. I always say to people now, I've got the memories, I've got the photos. Yeah. But I lead lead a different life now. Our my our son is sixteen now, and when I left the ABC through all that tumult, he was only five, so he has no memory of that time. And I coach his his all his cricket and everything like that. Um, I would have worked every weekend, you know, and I would have been travelling some months, some years. I'd be away five or six months if there were cricket tours, Olympics sure. in the same year. And I would have looked back now and thought, crikey, he's in year 12 next year. Mm. Whereas I've been able to virtually be home for his entire schooling, which has just been terrific. The bond we have is fantastic. And the the change of mindset to not need it so much. When did that happen for you? It's a good question, Carmen. Um, One of my big issues, I mean, Nick was talking about my, you know, fastidious preparation and everything. When I first started the ABC, within a couple of months, George Grittisich called me the Oracle because I gave some answer to a question on air that he didn't know. Mm-hmm. And that became a bit of a double-edged sword. I then had to live up to, as George mm. always referred to me on air, it's all oh, the Oracle. Mm. So I, that put pressure on me to always be right and to always do that research. And unfortunately for me, one of the things that led to my downfall at the ABC is that I became obsessed by the job. Yes. You know, The job was everything to me at the expense of friendships, at the expense of taking a family holiday or whatever. And it took me a while to unwind and to unpackage that after I'd left. Um, and probably after about two and a half years or whatever, I started. I was totally at ease and thought, well, people can't take away my memories. And yes, I, I maybe can't build another memory this summer when there's a test series or when there's the next Ashes or whatever, but they can't take away the memories that I created in my own mind and they're there forever and a day and I sort of at the stage now I think well do I need any more memories do I need to go back and revisit or have that sort of job again and I don't no, no regrets at all you've it, been you've been a massive ambassador in mental health uh, lifeline other organizations that are uh, from something that you've experienced and you mm. you go and do seminars and workshops etc what's that been like for you is that is that been something that's helped you get better or oh, to, to... Yeah, it has. I mean, I think it's cathartic to tell you a story. And I'm very warts and all. I mean, I talk about the, the suicide attempt and how it unfolded that day and everything like that. But um, you mentioned the frog joke at the start. That provided great entertainment for people for a couple of minutes. And they still talk about it now. And I could be describing an Olympic gold medal this evening or whatever and people get excited and they might remember that for a while. But the most beneficial, the most rewarding thing I've ever done is the mental health stuff that I do. Mm. You know, I've gone out into the country and and done a talk and then get an email maybe two weeks later from a a woman who said, you know, I met you on the night. Um, My husband's a farmer. He was there as well. We've been going through really tough times with commodity prices and drought and everything. And through your your, uh, talk that night, he's gone and sought help. 
And, mm. and to me, I sort of think back, you know, my circumstance that, you know, I mightn't be sitting here today if, if there hadn't have been a, a twist of fate that day, that for me, that's, you know, there's nothing more rewarding than keeping someone alive. And whether yeah. that's, whether you're a doctor or you're a, um, a paramedic arriving at a scene today or a, a fireman trying to get a body out of a car, um, the, the most rewarding thing for anyone in life is if you can keep someone alive. And it might be that you come across something and you give CPR to someone. For the rest of your life, you'll remember that and that person will be indebted. The same as people leave this earth, but they become organ donors. And, you know, they have left a legacy that, that are leaving people alive. So for me, as much as I enjoyed sport and as much as people would come, oh, I love that commentary the other day, when you can impact people to that degree is, is far more important. That, that's the greatest, the greatest achievement I've had in my life. Do you think it's possible to impact people in the same way, in, this, in a similar way through broadcasting or through storytelling? Oh, yeah. What was really interesting with Curtin is that we have a radiothon each year. And we used to raise about ninety-five, $100,000. In 2020, we raised one hundred and seventy-five. Wow. What was happening? The pandemic. Mm. Yeah. So people were locked at home. Our audience, because of the flavour of the music we play, our people, a lot of them are retirees. What have retirees got? Children and grandchildren. They can't see them. Yeah. They're in isolation. They're at home, whatever. So all of a sudden what we were doing, and, and I think radio is the most emotive means. TV, you've sort of got to engage with the pictures. Radio, you can be, whether it's listening to the cricket, all of a sudden you hear my voice get excited, the wicket's fallen, so you go and listen a bit more intently. <laughs> but for a lot of people, it's a companion. Mm. Yeah. You know, for widows, widowers, um, women at, men or women at home that, you know, their partner's FIFO, they're away for four weeks at a time, that radio is such an emotive thing. And... I think there are times that people have little vignettes that they've heard on radio that connect to a certain period, whether it's, as we said at the outset, a song or something like that. And I think you can have an impact. You know, people are laying in hospitals. Yep. They're listening to the radio. And, and, and it's something we... Well, I know that when our son was born, we were getting booties sent in, lady, you know, the mm. ABC. People were sending little bonnets and stuff. You are more almost in radio. You're like an extension of someone's family. Correct. And it, it's something that other forms like TV probably doesn't have that connection. So it, it's you never sort of underestimate the impact that you're having on people's lives. I yeah. love the way you say that, Glenn, because and I look back at my family that the way they listened to radio and my grandmother particularly, she didn't come off. You know, it was mm. played mm. right through the night because it was her friend, it was her companion. Yep. And the other sides of it is that we depend. Right, we're such a tr- we we are in cars. We we can we can connect to a radio yeah. at any point at any time yeah. and do other things, and and it's just those familiar voices mm. and the ones that we trust that mm. we we really get there. Mm. And it's the flexibility of the medium to allow all of that additional personality. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's the, I mean, people have always asked me, would I rather commentate television or radio? Now, television's where the the glamour is, and it's where the more money is, but it's a very prescriptive medium. When we're commentating on TV, you've got to marry what you're saying to the pictures. The frog joke would have, couldn't happen on TV. No. It can't happen because the director's in your ear saying, we want to show a wagon wheel of where Steve Smith's hit his runs. We're going to show a replay of the first three wickets. On radio, I've got a headset on and that's all and yeah. my brain. I don't have 
a director in my ear, a producer in my ear. So radio is a very, you, you rely on personality on radio, whether it's humour, sarcasm. TV is so prescriptive that yeah. you are beholden to whatever is on that rectangular screen as to what, the, you know, the first golden rule we're taught, broadcasting sport, what you're saying has to be relative to the pictures. Yep. Well, you can't go off and just be yourself and talk, you know, frog jokes, humour or whatever. You have to be talking about the vision, and I never liked that. Yeah, and and hats off to the commentators that do that on radio to be mm. able to paint the picture in people's heads just purely with words. Mm. The spoken yeah. word is is incredibly powerful. Well, back when it first started, they used to use sound effects. You'd know this, wouldn't you, Glenn? Yeah, the famous England, uh, the England cricket tour, where they had the virtue of coconut shell, and Alan McGilvery used to tap a pencil on it when he'd read the cable that came through, and they had fake applause on a an old <laughs> turntable and everything like that. Yeah, t- times of Times have changed a little bit. <laughs> in in broadcast, in the commentators of sport, you besides yourself, let's because uh, I put you up at, the, at number one. Who else? Who who are the who are the commentators that you look at and and see? Jeepers, they do it pretty well. They're they're, they're there. Two in particular, um, and this is not discrediting anyone else no, I've, I've worked with because I actually believe in Australia, we have some of the greatest sports broadcasters in the world. If anyone wants to listen to a horse race, listen to the way it's called by an Australian, not an American or an Englishman. Spot on. You know, we yeah. our, our sports broadcasting is fantastic. The most gifted sports broadcaster I ever worked with was Tim Lane. Right. Um, mm. I, and I had a pleasure to work with him in, in test cricket and Olympic coverage. Um, he's now with 3AW, commercial radio in, in uh, Melbourne. Um, when you're calling live sport a quick-moving sport, it's all about talking in short, sharp sentences so you don't get caught behind. And the shorter the sentence... The, the more beneficial it is, but it's got to be descriptive. And what I would take five words to describe, Tim would pick out three words, and the one key word would knock two of mine out. <laughs> so, and his voice, and the other one is Dennis Cometti. Yes. Um, you know, Dennis never made a mistake with player identification. He had the humour, and he was born with whatever the vocal setup that he's got in his throat. <laughs> his voice is just mellifluous it just flows like syrup so um yeah i think dennis but leaving aside the voice the way that he went about his craft the amount of time he spent watching videotape so he didn't make a mistake in identification so he and tim and i love working with with jim maxwell i mean he's sort of the doyen of cricket broadcasting he's done over 300 test matches now so yeah they're, they're probably the trio for me do you meet many kids anymore who want to be sports commentators um yeah, I still do. I mean, I, I do some guest lectures at um, ECU in their postgraduate. They do like a six months television, six months radio. And a lot of them do want to yeah. become sports commentators. I think I was very different. I, I fell into it at the age of 26 completely by accident. Whereas others, like Bruce McAvaney, for example, was calling Melbourne Cups in his backyard when he was seven. He, mm. he just wanted to be a sports commentator. And most of the people I've worked with over the years wanted to be a sports commentator. I never did. It, it, it was something that came out of the blue for me. But there are still a lot of people that, that want to do it. I mean, it gives you the best seat in the house. And once you realise you can't play for Australia, <laughs> you might as well go and watch Australia <laughs> play. And, and that's yeah. the best way to do it, I think. It is that typical kind of backyard faux commentary that you think of that mm. generally that kid's going to go on and do it. What, what was the circumstance for yourself? Oh, briefly, I was coaching women's cricket in WA and my fiancé at the time, who ended up being my my wife at the time, uh, was playing um, cricket for Australia and she was working with a bloke who was in the Commonwealth Public Service and asked if she could come in and do an interview on a Saturday morning Fremantle radio. And she said, oh, no, I'm too shy, but 
my fiance, who's the coach, might. So I went in, and then he said to me, look, after the interview, my co-presenter's gone away to Europe for, for a year. Would you like to help out? And I thought, oh, yeah. So I gave it six months and, you know, this volunteer work. And then all of a sudden, a job was advertised at the ABC, and people saw it and said, why don't you put in for it? And I said, they're asking for a commentator. I've never commentated anything. Mm-hmm. So I applied, missed out in the first round, and I remember getting a phone call from George Grilisic saying, you in a position to do an interview? I said, yes. Did it on the phone. Can you come in the next day and put down a voice track, which I did, read a few scripts. And then two days later, they rang and said, I've got the job. I, I never wanted it. I was executive assistant at the government printing office. I had a great relationship with the government printer. And so much so, when I was offered the job, I went and said, Gary, I don't know if I can do this. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you six months leave without pay. And at any time you want to come back, if it's not right for you, come back. Wow. So I went and met with him about two months later, had lunch. I said, Gary, I, I think I can make a fist of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's where I stayed. But yeah, at the beginning, I being in the media was not even something I dreamt of. That's wow. it's incredible, and it? it's mm. the way that you f- you fall into it. Mm. But also, too, um, that might be just why you've been so good. Is that it wasn't something that you you, you know, were consistently passionate or sorry caught up with for a long period of time. And that, it's an interesting thing you say that Nick is that there are very few full time sports commentators in Australia. Yeah. And so there's probably more brain surgeons. I mean, in WA, you've got um, Clint Wilde and Ben Cameron at the ABC. Carl Langdon is full-time at, um, at 6PR. Mm-hmm. Then you've got people like Mark Reddings, who I call the footy well on Channel 7, who, who has other occupation during the week. Mm. Sure. So one of the big things is that because I never aimed for it, I never had a chance to be disappointed. Yeah. I mean, a lot of young blokes that I've worked with over the years that are in commercial oh, – sorry, in um, community radio calling Waffle or whatever – in the end, they've got to give up on the dream because there's not a job available for them to be able to exercise that dream. Mm. So I was probably lucky that I never wanted to do it. I wouldn't say I never wanted it. I just never thought it. it was never on my radar. So when the opportunity came up, it, it wasn't like, oh, I've been trying for this for so long. I feel really desperately sorry for a lot of young people. You asked before, Carmen, whether they want to do it. Mm. A lot do. But they try it on community radio, get paid next to nothing or sometimes for nothing, and the door just doesn't open because there aren't enough doors to open mm. and they go off and do something else. Now, you would mentioned community radio, so before, while we're finishing off here, that I, I want to share something with you, Carms. Yeah. Um, Glenn Mitchell joined... So I already didn't start with this. Glenn Mitchell joined me on my little sports program on 91.3 oh, Sport yes. FM. He came yes. in every Friday morning for about six, seven weeks, didn't we? It was, yeah. it was a good lot of fun. What a coup. Until I got rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> to, well, until I lost my sponsor. Uh, <laughs> and it didn't take long. Um, mm. But uh, I, I tell you what, it was such a joy to be able to... I, I did not know what I was doing. I, and, and, I, and I think from a sports perspective, I've got, I've got the oracle sitting mm. across from me I just know how to talk and he was it was just brilliant to do but there's one other claim to fame that I have other than working with Glenn Mitchell for a period of time yeah. is that when I did take one week off my <laughs> fill-in because it was my 40th birthday by, mind you mm. my fill-in was Michael Thompson the, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the news anchor for Channel 9 little known yeah, yeah news little anchor. known he, he's yeah. My, he was my fill-in so you know as much as you can say about you know, our little experts podcast oh, that, that was that, that is the highlight and but the I, thing is he's talked about three people and two of us have gone on coming to bigger yeah. and better things and then and then there was Nick and then there's me and it just adds further proof that any old Wally can do a sports show oh, if they want to is, hey I did one in Kalgoorlie I mean I'm a Wally who did some sport don't st- stop listening to this guy over here he, he just wants that's all he wants to do hey Glenn thank you for coming in thank you for no, sharing fun. us those moments I think um 
Uh, I'm a massive fan. I always have been. And just before we do finish, your work on Twitter. I mean, you you are prolific <laughs> on that. And the, but the, I think that's more powerful than the ABC in many ways, or any of the other broadcasting platforms you have, because you can share your messages and content and get mm. such great engagement. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the great things. Social. I mean, sometimes you just got to block your ears to stuff that comes back after you put something out. But no, it's great. I mean, I, I just love interacting with people. It's it's mm. good fun. It's a good way to live life. Yeah. I, look, and you do an amazing job at it. Thank you for joining us on the Express Podcast. If people want to get in contact with you, how could they do that? Um, Follow you, want, you on Twitter. Do you want to manage me? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I know, how, I know how big a cut you take. Um, yeah, just um, at, at Mitchell Glenn, because there's a bloke in America when I signed up for Twitter that took Glenn Mitchell and he only ever put out one tweet. Oh. So I couldn't. So it's at Mitchell Glenn. At with Mitchell two Glenn yeah. with two ends. Well, well done. We'll find him there. It's, it just brings out the radio nerd in me. I love hearing about the <laughs> career and thank well, you for sharing. as a former breakfast presenter yourself, you know, talking to a breakfast presenter and, uh, you know, mm. oh, just amazing stuff and just to hear those stories and sorry I started with Kermit the Frog because Kermit Jagger uh, but oh god I'm I love still that waiting joke. for the royalty check I reckon you must get one because uh, YouTube it's uh, there's yeah. so many hits on it that's one we should put the uh, in the show notes I we'll reckon. put it in the show notes Glenn thanks for joining us Carms another great one very good thank you for your company that was Glenn Mitchell great sports commentator the Oracle and uh, we'll have another media and another expert next week thanks for joining You've been listening to the Experts Podcast, powered by Media Stable. If you'd like to get in contact with the team, head to mediastable.com.au.